Good morning, everybody. As I was preparing the message this week, I was thinking about family trees, about family history, and wondering how many people have ever looked into their family line, done the research, Ancestry.com, or however you go about doing that, and looking into how did your family come to Australia in the first place. It is fascinating. I personally haven't done it, but I have aunties and uncles who have taken the time to do that and have passed on the research to me, which has been fantastic. I might just wait for a sec. Try again. All right, we're good. So I have aunties and uncles who have done that for me. And my brother, when my granddad passed away, was given this, an amazing family Bible, which is over, I can't remember how old it is, it's really, really old. And in that Bible, there is the LaRoche side. So generations tracked back. Fascinating to read. So as you can hear, LaRoche is my maiden name, and that is a French name, French origins. And when I look back into the family history of my side, it goes back to the French Revolution, where apparently my relatives were in the upper classes and they escaped in the French Revolution to England because they feared for their lives. So they lived in England for quite a few generations until my dad, my granddad and his siblings moved to Australia when he was 19 years old. Amazing to look into. On my mum's side, they've tracked through the family tree, through generations, back to royalty, so I was expecting an invitation to the coronation because clearly <laughs> I have royal heritage, but I didn't receive it in the mail. They must have lost my address, unfortunately. But it's really interesting to look into your family, to your history, to your origins. How do we get here? What are the good things about our family? What are the quirky things? What are the things that we can hold on to that our ancestors, our relatives have done? Or even one of the unhealthy things in our generations that, as I look back, that I actually need to stop with my generation. Interesting lesson in history and how we can look back and then also change or hold on to things and move forward. So we're in week two of our series of looking into where our church came from. The Lakes Church is affiliated with Churches of Christ in Queensland, which is what we call part of the Restoration Movement. So this movement began over 200 years ago in the UK and the USA. And in this series, we're looking back at the founders of this Restoration Movement and what they set out to achieve, how this has shaped us as followers of Jesus today, and what can we hold on to in our church history, and what do we need to let go of? So if you were here last week, Jeff kicked off the series by looking at one of our founders named Thomas Campbell and looking into the unity that he was trying to restore the church to, that Jesus prayed for, that we would see ourselves as Christians only, but not the only Christians, recognising that people of other denominations who profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour are also saved. We are part of the bigger kingdom of God. So this was just the beginning of the restoration movement of what the founders set out to restore the church back to unity, to what we see in the New Testament. So today we're going to jump to Queensland in the 1930s, a little later, and have a look into what has shaped us as a church in Australia and Queensland. But first, I want to look at a passage in the book of Acts, because this passage has shaped some of the principles that we see in our restoration movement principles that the founders were really passionate about. 
So just before Jesus ascended to heaven, we know that he told his disciples to go and share the good news about who he is and what he's done with his death and resurrection on the cross, that he is indeed the Son of God. But he said to him, don't go until you receive the Holy Spirit. He said, stay in Jerusalem. So the disciples are in Jerusalem and they're gathering there in a room and the Holy Spirit came just like Jesus said he would. And powerful things happened that day. And Peter is preaching to these people that are there. And this is where we kick off and have a look at the passage. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. It says, Those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity and all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. What amazing group of people. This is the very first account we have of the early church. Imagine being part of that community. Imagine initially witnessing the move of the Holy Spirit of what God was doing after Jesus ascended. Imagine witnessing people so full of faith that they were willing to share everything they had. Imagine selling all of your property and your possessions to give to those in need. Imagine meeting together regularly for the Lord's Supper or what we call communion. Sharing in meals together with joy and generosity. Enjoying the goodwill of all people. Being part of the community. Imagine what that would have done for your faith. Imagine what that would have done for the people around. And we read that because these people were meeting like that, in unity and with faith living out practically what they was, their beliefs, we see that thousands were added to their number each day. An amazing time in church. This is the beginning of the early church. Now, people back then found it appealing, and I found this really appealing today. Being part of a community like that mind-blowing people in unity in their faith now there are a lot of things in the restoration movement about this passage that we can't we see today that are our driving principles and what the aim of the restoration move was to bring the church back to but there also is a problem with that idealistic idea of restoration because this amazing time in the history of the church if we look at the book of acts only lasted for a few verses These few verses are very unique in the history of church because soon after we see that as we read through the New Testament, problems started occurring. Even by Acts chapter 6, there is disunity in the church because between the Greek Christians and the Jewish Christians, the church back then was supporting widows, which is what um, they were supposed to do, but the Greek Christians were saying, you know, our Greek widows are not getting as much as the Jewish widows. There was bias in the church. And then in Acts chapter 15, there is an argument about how could a person be saved? Do we still need to hold on to the Jewish customs and traditions? Or is faith in Jesus enough? 
And these arguments caused disunity in the church. And although the restoration movement was planted out of this, they wanted to restore the church today to this New Testament church. But we need to realise that the church has always had broken people in it. And as we read through the New Testament, as we read through this passage, we can read through people's mistakes. We look back over history of where the church has come from. And we are looking through the lens of a broken person. We are broken. They are broken. We are in need of restoration. The church is in need of restoration. So the idea of upholding this restoration movement was not to hold on to this perfect ideal. It was about restoring the broken parts of the church because we are broken people. Restoring them to the way that Jesus wants them to be with his help and his power. And that's what the restoration movement has really been all about. Restoring those elements that are broken. Seeking forgiveness and moving forward in Jesus' name. And as a Lakes Church, as part of the restoration movement, we want to learn from our family history. What do we need to repent of? What do we need to change? What do we need to focus on? What do we need to draw back to? What of the principles of this early church do we need to hold on to? Because we need restoration even today. So let's come back to Acts chapter 2, verse 44. It says, And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Now, the restoration movement out of this passage has principles that we hold on to. And this one particularly is the principle of practical care in churches of Christ, putting our faith into action through caring for people. So in the 1930s, Australia was grouped with the Great Depression. If you look back over history, people were really struggling and suffering everywhere. And as churches of Christ, as churches particularly in Brisbane at that stage, they wanted to do something about it. So the conference of churches... Churches all around the state gathered together and formed a social service department to help people out. And initially that relied on the donations of people in congregations for food, for, um, for clothes and other things. And these were passed on to families in need in that Great Depression through a hub at Ann Street Church of Christ in Brisbane. An amazing practical care element that formed out of these principles of the New Testament. And then another thing we see pop up was something called Unemployed Tees, which is the picture on the screen. This was at Annalee Church of Christ in Brisbane. During the Great Depression, on a Sunday evening, over 100 unemployed men would come and have a meal. So it's this kind of practical care that has inspired even our small local expression of care. I'm not sure if you're aware right now, our church gives out food parcels to those in need. Each week we have people coming to the office door and we're able to hand out groceries and things to those people, people experiencing homelessness or other struggles in life. So that's one way we can practically care for those around us. If you are unaware, you can actually purchase non-perishable items in your grocery and bring them to the info desk each Sunday and we'll be able to distribute those to people who come to our door during the week. It's an amazing opportunity just to give a small practical care element to our community because James the brother Jesus wrote about this kind of care in his book in James chapter 2 he says what good is it dear brothers and sisters if you say that you have faith but don't show it by your actions can that kind of faith save anyone 
So suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does it do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. We need to live out our faith. We see the early church doing that. And that's an element we need to hold on to today. We're inspired by how Jesus lived his life. We're inspired by the early church and the restoration movement over history. And these days, churches across, across, across Queensland do that as well. We have churches across Queensland have aged care facilities, senior living, home care, foster and kinship care. We are the, one of the largest not-for-profit organisations in Queensland with care arms. And this practical care of our churches comes out of this mandate we see in the New Testament to care for people, to live out our faith in deed and action. We value caring for people physically, emotionally and spiritually. And these are some incredibly amazing stories that come out of our history. But like I said before, we are broken people. Our history is far from perfect and it's important to be aware of even the dark side of our history. And unfortunately, as people, we sometimes getting, get care for people wrong. In our denomination, sorry, in our, the restoration movement, we have discovered abuse, misuse of power, getting it wrong, and treat, treating people poorly. So I sit on the state council for our movement, and we've had to face very painful and real issues that have come out of the Royal Commission into Aged Care and the Royal Commission into institu- Institutional Child Abuse. The restoration movement needs restoration, especially in our darkest moments. We need to learn from the past. We need to seek reconciliation and forgiveness and look to Jesus. And I'm so glad that our movement is committed to this, to restoring the broken, to seeking that restoration and and forgiveness. And I'm so thankful our church is also committed to that. Because despite our failures over history in caring for people, practical care is part of our DNA as a church, as a movement. We want to be generous with our time, our money, our energy, to love people, to walk with the wounded, to be Jesus' hands and his feet and to bring the light of Jesus into our communities. And as part of that... We get to participate in partnership with Churches of Christ Care. Over the last few years, if you've been here for a little while, you'll know that we've been able to send hampers up to the Cape to foster families who Churches of Christ look after. And these hampers go up at Christmas time and they're a gift, a free gift to those people. And it's an amazing way we can practically care for people in remote communities. And we're going to do it again this year. So the support workers on the ground tell us that fishing is a really big part of communities up there, a great community activity. So these hampers that we're going to do this year are going to have a really big fishing focus. So look out for information soon as we get closer towards Christmas, if you're thinking about Christmas already, that'll come out. We're going to partner with Churches of Christ again to bless and practically care for people in that foster care community. And as a church day, you know that we support our mission partners to enable them to practically care for people. The Cairns Street Chaplains, Religious Instruction in Schools, Centre for Change in the Philippines, and there are many more mission partners. But I know that lots of you, or all of you, probably practically care for people in your everyday life. 
So I want to invite Ray and Lucy up this morning who are going to share a little bit about their practical care and how they live out the Churches of Christ kind of DNA. So come on up, guys. So as they're coming up, Ray and Lucy have been part of our church for over 40 years and been part of Churches of Christ for a lot longer than that. So we're going to welcome them as they come up. There's your mic. So I wanted to get you up just to talk because you've been in Churches of Christ for a really, very long time. So how did you first come into contact with Churches of Christ? Uh, me personally? Yeah. Um, when I moved to Boona, I started attending the local church. It was easiest to get to, just down the street. It was about 1968 I made a decision and been with them since. Wow. And Lucy? Well, you see, I think the story goes that my mum, who was part of the Rosewood Church of Christ was taken quickly to hospital after the morning service um, to Ipswich which was oh, oh, only about 30, 40 minutes away so I was in the Church of Christ from being born so I've gone through the whole <laughs> uh, as long as I can remember anyway um, we went to the Doug Willis Aerosphere Crusades, we went to the um, David Mansell Tent Missions and we were involved in Churches of Christ all my life. That's awesome. That's um, amazing. Actually, talking about yeah. um, Churches of Christ care, I stayed, Churches of Christ had a, a hostel for girls at Kedron and I stayed there for two years when I was doing my teacher's college um, certificate. So I have uh, personal interest in it <laughs> that's amazing so what are some of the features of churches of christ that have inspired your faith over your over your years of your faith journey <laughs> <laughs> well um personally just the the practical bible studies i mean i went to two services a sunday um I was dragged along to um, prayer meetings on Wednesday night. wasn't too fond of them. But, um, and so I was immersed in the Bible, in the ways of the Restoration Movement from very young. And I think that my faith grew through that. It wasn't my parents' faith. It was my faith that I learned to accept Jesus and follow him. And that's been with me all my life. I guess for me, Laura, it was the fact that um, I was always encouraged to get involved. Even for right from the start, I got involved in the youth group. I got involved in Christian Endeavour, which was a local... Or it wasn't just the local church, it was a lot more. And um, working together was a great thing. Doing mm. things in the community together, um, yeah. Yeah, so definitely that unity aspect... Yes. Yeah. So fast forward today, um, do you want to talk about your work with Mission Australia? You're wearing the beautiful pink shirts there. <laughs> so share with us what you're doing. Okay, well what we're doing at the moment, we've been involved with for about five years. Uh, originally asked by Phil to get involved. We work, work at a shed at Douglas House. Douglas House is a, a rehabilitation centre where they have people... Um, in as tenants in the house. Uh, if you um, can imagine, these are the people that have probably hit rock bottom 
and uh, they're being worked and, and encouraged to get back up, get back into the community, get back into housing and so on. And um, if you see the other pink shirt with us today, that's Barbara, the program manager for Douglas House. Uh, feel free to pick her brains and ours. Yeah, do you want to share your role, Lucy, what you do with Mission Australia, how you help out? Um, I work in the shed. Um, Ray does most. It's woodwork. We do woodwork. The people come over from the shed and from Warry, from Douglas House and from Warry House, and they make what they want to make. We've had... We give them a, a little bit of an introduction to the tools and that sort of thing. And they can make um, breadboards. Ladies come to. They draw on the um, breadboards. They paint them. And uh, they take them home. They take them back. So they're something that they've made. And it's wonderful to be able to... We've seen people who come in who are shy, shy of the equipment... Um, and they'll just blossom out and they, they say, you know, this is what I've made. And we've got people who are uh, in se- severe depression, they'll come over and work. And you can, sorry, and you can see how they've, um, they, working with their hands, that depression lessens a little. And it's just wonderful to watch and to know that they're, they're helping, that what we're doing is helping them in their lives. Yeah. Do you want to, you were sharing with Jeff during the week a little story about um, Yarram Street. Do you want to share that? Yeah, the, um, I, I mentioned to Jeff that over the years things have changed a lot in the Churches of Christ. Um, I've heard it said about the old three hymn sandwich for the service, right? Well, when I first moved north, I was still involved in the church and I often, or very often, used to take the message. And one particular morning at Yarram Street here in Cairns, I was giving a message about communion and the lead up to it, so I thought, I'll have communion after the service. Well, everything went well. No one objected during the service, but afterwards this older gentleman that uh, had come up from the south, he took me aside and he spoke to me very sternly about altering the order of service. Um, Now, yeah, but anyway, I I listened to what he said, but I um, I didn't continue to do what he wanted. And um, look, we love doing what we're doing because we often get the opportunity to talk to these people about their Christian faith or about their beliefs, where they're at. And if we can sit down with them and encourage them, we love it. Um, If you're inspired today in any way to think about joining us, come and talk to us afterwards. Mm. Well, thank you, guys. Um, I'll pray for you before you go. But, yeah, if you are inspired about what they do with their work and their woodwork and the shed work, go and talk to them afterwards. They'd love to chat. But let me pray for you guys before you go. So, 
Jesus, thank you so much for Ray and Lucy for their um, longevity in Churches of Christ and their willingness to still practically care for people. I pray that you'll really bless them as they continue that, as they meet with those people at Douglas House, that as they work with them in woodwork, that you'll give them amazing opportunities to share about who you are. Jesus, thank you for their willingness to, to still do that. In your most holy name, amen. Thank you, guys. So that's just one example. I know so many of you have stories about what you are doing in our community to practically care and practically live out what Jesus has asked us to do. But I have a challenge for us this morning. As Penny said earlier, over the last few weeks, we've been prayer walking around our neighbourhoods, praying for people in our, the houses that are closest by us and even our schools and workplaces. And we've been asking Jesus just to, for, to show them your light, like his light, and to for an opportunity to share faith with them. It's, amaz- it's been amazing to hear some stories come out of that. But this week, as part of that, as your prayer walk, as you're walking around, as you're in your workplaces, maybe ask God, is there a way I can practically care for someone this week? God, show me a need that I can actually action. As I'm praying for these people, what can I do for them? How can I invite them to church? How can I share my faith? And how can I practically care for these people? Because this, what we see in the early church is what Jesus has asked us to do. And it's an amazing way to actually live out our faith. I'm almost finished this morning, but like Ray said, I'm actually going to finish with communion this morning because communion in the restoration movement is actually a really important part of who we are. And like Ray said, he got in trouble that one time for putting it at the end of the message we don't want to be so legalistic about it where we can't change it and, and do that kind of thing. But communion is a major feature of the restoration movement. It was a major feature of the early church. In Acts chapter 2, 42, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. It was so central to the restoration movement that if you look in the history books, particularly in church planting in Australia, you'll see that church planting wasn't said, oh, this church was planted in Ann Street in Brisbane. It'll say, these people gathered and met for the Lord's Supper. Or these 12 people gathered and met in this house for the Lord's Supper. That's how church planting was recorded in our history. And we have communion together each week because it is central to our faith. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, it says, On the first day of the week, we gathered with the local believers to share in the Lord's Supper. It was the practice of the early church. And like Ray was saying, and like I'm saying, we don't want to be legalistic about it. We don't have to have it in a particular order of the service. Even if we skipped a week, it would be okay. But communion, we celebrate it as part of our unity together. And it's part of our practice because it's important to remember Jesus' death and resurrection. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 26, he said, For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And that's why we celebrate communion, as part of our unity as the body of Christ, but to remember his death and resurrection for us, because he paid the price for our sins. And in the history of our movement, like Ray was talking about, it generally communion was celebrated right in the middle of a church service to kind of commemorate that this is the central point of our faith, commemorate what Jesus has done. And also one of the main features of the restoration movement is what we call an open table, that if you love Jesus, if you want to have communion and remember his death and resurrection, you are welcome to join us. 
Because in the history of churches and in the history of denominations and even today, not all churches have that open table policy. In Thomas Campbell's history, in his Church of the Day, one of the founders, it was found that churches wouldn't allow other, members, uh, other churches who were visiting to partake in communion. They had to have maybe a letter from their congregation. They had to be the right kind of Christian to partake in communion. So Thomas Campbell looked at this unity that he saw in the New Testament early church where he saw Jews and Greeks, male and female, slave and free, coming together in unity to have communion. And he said, that's what I want to do. I want to have an open table policy where anyone who loves Jesus can come and have communion together. So that's why we have an open table policy in our church today. You don't need to be confirmed as a Christian. You don't need to be baptised. You don't need to have a membership card, which is good because actually none of us have membership cards. You don't need to have a letter from your church if you're visiting to say you're a good Christian. All you need to do is say, I love Jesus and I want to participate and remember his death and resurrection. Communion is about our heart attitude to God. Remembering that he's paid the price because of his death, we are forgiven. So worship team is going to come up. Uh, And we're going to do that. So as you eat the bread, remember that is his body broken, which, and the juice is his blood that was poured out for our forgiveness of sins. So worship team, come on up and we'll have a moment of communion together. So let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much that as a community, as a symbol of unity, that together we can have communion together that we can remember that this is proclaiming your death and resurrection until you come again. I pray that as we eat and we drink, that we remember your body was broken, that your blood was poured out, that we are indeed forgiven, that you paid the price for our sins, that it's our faith is about you, Jesus. Thank you that you love us so much that we can celebrate each week. In Jesus' name, amen. So eat and drink as the worship team plays.